Hello and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning into our little programme. I really appreciate it. Now, I have some big news here at Peter Mackay Motorsport HQ because the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast is going on tour stateside. I have confirmed my trip to go to the Rolex 24 at Daytona. 24 hours of fantastic IMSA sports car racing and I must be honest I am so excited to go to this race. It's a race that's been on my radar for a number of years and I just can't wait to get over there. Um, I'm hoping to interview a number of the the drivers, team owners etc over at the Rolex 24. So if there is anyone in particular in the IMSA paddock or on the entry list for the Daytona 24, please let me know if you would like to hear from them and I will do my very best to try and get the microphone uh, in front of them to hear what they've got to say. But of course, we will have lots of content coming from that uh, event. Happens at the end of January. Um, You can actually watch it live on the internet, the entire race on IMSA.tv on the internet or a few days after the race on IMSA's fantastic YouTube channel. Um, It's a wonderful race because the IMSA paddock, um, normally they'll run uh, the regular length of race in the IMSA Sports Car Championship is about 2 hours and 40 minutes usually but for some of the longer races the teams have to bring in an extra driver just for those longer races and some of the extra drivers that are brought in are often some of the superstars of motorsport to give you an idea last year's winners of the Daytona 24 hour uh, the Rolex 24 I should I should say to give it its proper name um Wayne Taylor Racing the number 10 Cadillac their extra drivers were Fernando Alonso and Kamui Kobayashi, two former Formula One drivers, one double world champion, of course, in there as well. So some of the core drivers that can come in are quite exceptional. So I'm so excited. So um, that will be that will be, be be coming up in about a month's time. So looking forward to that. Now today, though, we're going to talk about motorbikes and MotoGP because today is the second episode in our Rossi's Rivals series. So. In the first episode, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you haven't listened to it, check it out. Um, basically, this the idea behind this series is uh, to celebrate the season of Rossi um, having more than four hundred Grand Prix starts. It's quite an exceptional achievement. He's been in the MotoGP paddock since nineteen ninety six and has won nine world titles and is by far and away the world's most famous motorcyclist. So. I thought, why don't I look back at all the rivals that he's had across this time uh, and pick my favourite race of when he really, um, you know, where he beat that rival against the odds. So the first episode was talking about his first ever race with Yamaha. He'd spent three years, sorry, he spent four years with Honda, three of which he'd won the title. So he'd come off the back of three world titles in a row with Honda, with Repsol Honda, and he moved over to the Yamaha team. It was a big shock because the Yamaha team had not won for two years and it hadn't won a championship for 10 years. Um, So it was a big, big move at the time for Rossi to do that. But in his very first race at Welcome in South Africa, the Pekisa Freeway, he beat, not only did he win his first race with Yamaha, but he beat Max Biaggi, his better Roman rival um, on the Camel Honda on his old on his old bike and I bet that was just such a emotionally driven victory and and um, I had so much fun watching the race again and talking about it on uh, this previous episode so 
do check back and have a look at that. If you've got the MotoGP video pass, um, you can get it quite cheap at this time of year in the off-season. Go back and watch that race because it's absolutely exceptional, even when knowing the result as well. So, next driver up is probably an even tougher adversary um, in the MotoGP paddock, and that was Casey Stoner. Valentino Rossi and Casey Stoner did not get on whatsoever. They are very, very different characters. A bit like Rossi's comparison to Biagi or Lorenzo. You know, quieter characters. Casey Stoner was very much a private person. Um, didn't like the limelight. Didn't like the interviews, the media. None, none of that. He just wanted to get on the bike and ride it. And quite honestly, Casey Stoner remains to this day one of the one of the most special motorcycle racers who has ever lived the the things that he could do on a motorcycle defied belief and when he rode for ducati he won the championship in 2007 and won a number of races and basically at that time nobody was doing anything on the ducati but he could just drag it around to do things that just defied belief if yeah, there's recently a, a a podcast came out on a, one of my favourite new podcasts that I've I've, I've discovered is a, a podcast called Rusty's Garage. Um, a guy called Greg Rust, who's a very popular um journalist and presenter in in Australia, and he went to interview Casey Stoner and they're talking about going through Stoner Corner at Phillip Island, which is fifth gear at 170 miles per hour, and to you know to to listen to Casey describe his style throughout that corner and what he, the things he does you know bearing in mind this is happening in a in a blink of an eye and he's talking he's talking paragraphs and paragraphs about all the things he's doing over that time with the motorcycle it's just exceptional i urge you to go and listen to to that if if you can um so but you know but stoner the difference and i think why immediately rossi and stoner found a dislike for each other is because well, I think because it was the first, it was a proper time where Rossi was really challenged quite considerably and really had to raise his level. And the race that I've picked is their famous encounter at Laguna Seca in, in the United States back in 2008 because it really showed where Rossi had to dig much deeper and again proved to the whole world that he was not going to be one-upped by this by the, this new Australian world champion. He had an extra level which he dug out from underneath. But I am convinced, having watched back the, the, the footage, I am convinced that Stoner is 100% responsible for Rossi digging out that extra level within him. And I, I'm absolutely convinced. And that's what makes not only this encounter from Laguna Seca 2008, but all of the other encounters that we're going to talk about in this series, where you just saw Valentino Rossi just raise a level to meet his rival. Um, of course, there are plenty of examples where he is defeated by his rivals, but that is the joy of MotoGP, and particularly looking back into MotoGP history. So I thought, while we're in the off-season, we don't have any current MotoGP racing until March. Boo, I know. But um, why not talk about some fantastic classic races? So, uh, well, let's set the scene for Laguna Seca 2008. So, They've been racing uh, at Laguna Seca in the MotoGP World Championship on and off since 1988, at a time when the Americans dominated the MotoGP World Championship. You had, you know, basically through the 80s, it was Kenny Roberts, 
um, Freddie Spencer, Eddie Lawson, Wayne Rainey, Kevin Schwantz, all the absolute dudes of motorcycle racing, so cool. Um, racing, really nasty 500cc two-stroke, absolute animal motorcycles. Um, so that was when they started off racing at Laguna. I can't imagine what it would be like to race a 500cc two-stroke Grand Prix motorcycle around Laguna Seca. Utterly terrifying, I would imagine. Um, but that's why these guys just, just live on a different planet to what we all do. So it's a historic MotoGP track, sadly not on the calendar anymore. It's much missed, but ne you never know, we might get back there again soon. At the time, Valentino Rossi was having a pretty difficult time of things because... When he started in MotoGP in the year 2000, um, he had a good rookie season with some race wins, and then he won um, he won the next five world championships in a row, three with Honda and two with Yamaha, and he really was steamrolling the sport. But in 2006, he was beaten. He was beaten by Nicky Hayden on the Repsol Honda. In 2007, he was beaten again by Casey Stoner, only in his second year in MotoGP, on the rocket ship Ducati Demo Sudici. So come 2008, he's really had, he's, he's had his backyard ripped up. <laughs> um, he's he's licking his wounds and he's got to really find another level to, he's, he might have had it, I don't think he ever had it easy throughout his times of five championships in a row, but definitely the world had got tougher around him, that's for sure. So when he coming into Laguna, He'd never won at Laguna Seca before, one of the very few tracks he hadn't won at. Um, in commentary, Chaz Davies, now World Superbike rider. Uh, at the time, Chaz Davies was in the commentary at that point. He was out and racing in America at the time. And he was writing Rossi off completely, saying that Casey Stoner was the guy with the pace. And he was absolutely right. Even Rossi himself knew that he did not have the pace to win this particular race. When he was asked in the Saturday press conference, how do you beat, they say, Valentino, how do you beat Casey Stoner this weekend? He says, well, maybe a 30-second head start and a gun. Um, so he was giving him, well, typical Rossi, he was playing the media. He was giving himself no chance. He was very much under-promising to over-deliver the very next day. Classic Rossi media um, tactic. Casey Stoner, he'd won the previous three races. Uh, in that championship year, so he was on a he was on a roll. Um, he was under the pole position record from the very first practice session, and he and he took pole position from Valentino Rossi by zero point four four seven seconds, nearly half a second. At quite a short circuit like Laguna Seca, and of course set the pole position record. So nobody was giving anybody on the grid a chance. It looked like it was Casey Stoner's race to just clear off and have a nice Sunday ride. But oh, how different was it? And this is the thing that we saw so many times and we still see in Valentino Rossi's career is that he is a Sunday man. He wakes up on a Sunday and his team that he's gathered together, they seem to find something with the motorcycle. He seems to find something within himself. It's almost as if he's just sandbagging a little bit. He's just keeping a little bit in reserve and then deploying it in the race and shocking his rivals. So, and this day at Laguna in 2008 was probably the best example of his entire career of just keeping something in reserve and it, it appearing out of nowhere. Now, it was classic Valentino Rossi Hollywood movie stuff. 
you know, Tom Cruise was there on the grid, shaking hands, smiling, shades on, all very cool. And he was there right at the start finish line over the over the pit lane wall watching from, a, you know, from the best seat uh, in in the house. So as the race came to start, they went off on their warm up lap. All the riders came round to take their places on the grid, ready for the start. And of course, Casey Stoner doing his what he did throughout his MotoGP career, where he was always the last man to take his place on the grid. Unlike in most car racing formats, where they will go, they will peel off in grid order and have to follow in their grid order all the way around the warm-up lap. In motorcycle racing, it's a free-for-all. You can go as fast or as slow as you want. So Stoner's theory was that he would always arrive last on the grid because he would be the one with the warmest brakes and the warmest tyres, and he always seemed to be able to, 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 to do it as well, and it was a quite clever tactic. So as the race got going, Casey Stoner bolted off from pole position uh, and got into the first corner first, and we thought, well, that's it, game over. Casey Stoner's going to... He's gonna he's gonna tear off, but Valentino Rossi knew that he had absolutely no option but to basically slow Casey Stoner's pace down. He had to disrupt his rhythm. He couldn't let him get into a rhythm, otherwise the race was over. Now, about halfway through the first lap, Jorge Lorenzo, who at that point was in his in his debut season in MotoGP, had the most monumental crash you have ever seen in the history of motorcycle racing. Basically, as he was just coming off the throttle into a tight left-hander, he flipped over the handlebars and was sent into orbit as his Yamaha M1 just pinged him straight out of the seat and goodness knows how far in the air. And he was very, very lucky um, not to have really, really serious injury. But this was that, that was a very typical of a rookie, MotoGP rookie Lorenzo, where he he got on pole early in his career. He got uh, he won races early in his career, but he was he was riddled with crashes in the first uh, in the first season in two thousand and eight. But not the last we will hear of him in this series. So into the second lap, Valentino Rossi is trying to hang on to the coattails of Stoner, and he knew he couldn't let him get away. So. Coming up into the corkscrew, he pulled off what will remain one of the most um, one of the most memorable moves in MotoGP history, where he basically dived up the inside, going down the infamous Laguna Seca corkscrew. For anyone unfamiliar with the Laguna Seca corkscrew, um, just 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 YouTube it. Most people in motorsport will know, but go onto YouTube and just type in Laguna Seca corkscrew, and very likely Valentino Rossi's pass on Casey Stoner will go there. It's something that has been just it's it's burnt in the retinas of every MotoGP fan that's seen this clip because to go up, it's basically a very very fast uphill right then left and then dropping down the hill and it's like dropping two or three stories in in virtually no time at all and Rossi planted and very very nearly crashed went up over the curb onto the grass but managed to manages to 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 get past it was a pass that Casey Stoner did not appreciate whatsoever but Rossi knew that he had to take big chances he had to throw everything he had at winning this motorcycle race and the only way to do that was to get in front of Stoner and to disrupt his rhythm. Now, a few laps later, Casey Stoner was able to use the distinct advantage of his Ducati Demo Sudici. So at the time, this was in the 800cc era of MotoGP. Today we have 
uh, much deeper sounding 1000cc motorcycles but at that time they were 800cc and they sounded like a pack of hornets absolutely extraordinary sounding uh, engines and the Ducati on full chat basically blew past the Yamaha like it was standing still and it, does that sound familiar? Nothing has changed 11 years later in MotoGP because that's exactly what we are seeing a Yamaha being a sitting duck on the straight um, with a Ducati going flashing past. So that was what Stoner was able to do. Going along the straight, he was along the, the front straight, which is actually, it's, it's arguable if you could call it a straight Laguna Seca. It's basically just one very, very long, very, very slight left-hand curve until you get on the brakes for turn one. So Stoner knew he was able to blast back on the straight, but then Rossi snapped straight back by being able to brake much later. Again, a typical Yamaha trait. The Ducati was notorious for not so good braking at the time. It was certainly notorious for very poor turning. All the things that the Yamaha was the class leader in at the time. Fantastic on the brakes, fantastic around the corners, and Rossi was able to deploy this um, this uh, ability and this feature of his motorcycle, characteristic of his motorcycle, to be able to keep Casey Stoner behind him. So after later on in that very same lap, Casey Stoner pulled one of the most impressive moves I have ever seen in a motorcycle race. When Casey Stoner is following Valentino Rossi up what's called the Rahal Straight, which is a very steep straight heading up towards the corkscrew, and he went round the outside of Valentino Rossi, like he was standing still, going up the Rahal Straight. One of the bravest, most incredible moves I've ever seen in racing, let alone motorcycle racing. If you're if you're not inspired already, how not? Get yourself the MotoGP video pass and go and watch this for real. I hope I'm bringing it to life for you as much as possible. It's certainly bringing it all back to me. So for the next few laps, Rossi and Stoner, with Rossi in front, just traded fastest laps and they got quicker and quicker and quicker. By the time that they got about to about half distance with 16 laps to go, they were 17 seconds ahead of the nearest rider, which was Nicky Hayden in third at the time. Now, 17 seconds in today's MotoGP, usually if you're 17 seconds off the leader, you'll be lucky to be in the points nowadays in MotoGP, but that was just the level. And it was a classic example, just like in Welcome 2004, when Rossi and Biaggi just lifted each other's level to a just an almost ungodly uh, <laughs> planet, just away from everyone else on the grid driven by pure hatred of each other and that was certainly what Rossi and Stoner had Rossi despised Stoner he despised his personality despised his character but he, most of all he despised how fast he was on a motorcycle Stoner despised the fact that he didn't get the respect that he was due for his performance and he felt that you know that, that, that everybody loved Valentino and nobody loved him and and that that grated him that really got to him and both of you can tell that personal vendetta against each other was just driving them on another tenth of a second a lap it was so clear to see and just the the intensity of the duel between them and this is what's so important in motorsport I think is that you know this you need these rivalries you need this 
you, you need that bitterness almost just to add that spice and it doesn't just add the spice for what people are talking about when they're sitting with a beer watching the watching the race it's for inside the helmet it's for the it's for the riders it's for the drivers where they're going oh stoner's just passed me i hate him i want to get past him i'm gonna but would they have that same thought for someone they they're they're friends with i don't think so i think that genuinely the i don't think any professional rider would admit it but they know that they that just that depending on who goes past them it really makes a difference and this day was when both riders equally hated each other and just disappeared off into uh into another planet but as they dueled together it was so, the, the characteristics of both each rider and each motorcycle really shone through the the sweet handling the sharp turning the heavy braking of the yamaha with rossi against the pure horsepower and grunt of uh, Stoner's Ducati, but also Stoner's un just incredible ability on a motorcycle was such a fascinating thing to see. But with nine laps to go, Rossi still in front, Stoner still trying to put pressure on Rossi, trying his best, and coming into the last corner, which is a very, very tight left-hander. It's a first gear, probably 40 miles an hour left-hander going onto the front straight. Casey Stoner approached a little bit further, got on the brakes that little bit too late, got lost the control of the rear tyre of the motorcycle as it goes over a big heavy bump and starts to lock up the front brake. And in doing so, he's travelling straight to plough into the back of Valentino Rossi's motorcycle and potentially taking them both down. But Casey Stoner did the correct thing, stood the bike up to avoid that accident. However, that meant that he went straight on into the gravel trap and the race was over. And of course, not only did he end up in the gravel trap on his motorcycle, he ended up falling off and having to pick his bike back up and continue the race. Now, normally in any motorcycle race, but especially in today's era of MotoGP, if any rider comes off the motorcycle in any point in the race, they're out the points, usually. But at this point, Stoner had so much time in hand that he was able to pick the bike up, get back on and still finish second comfortably. That is that is the sort of level that Casey Stoner and Valentino Rossi were on that day. But that was the race over, and it was Rossi who had triumphed against the odds. No one had given him a chance. Nobody expected it. But him and his crew chief, Jeremy Burgess at the time, put a motorcycle underneath him, which he then rode in possibly the greatest race of his career. Absolutely extraordinary. And when he came over the when he came out the last corner put his motorcycle up onto the back tyre, huge stand-up wheelie the whole length of the uh, front straight at Laguna Seca as he took the chequered flag with Tom Cruise watching on. And it is it will remain one of those iconic moments in MotoGP history, as many of Rossi's highlights of his career, just because of the stature that he has in the sport, and a lot of people nowadays who are maybe coming into MotoGP now and they see Valentino Rossi in the, in the twilight of his career, um, they maybe don't quite understand or respect just how special he was at the time and how special he, he, he still is. And on the, on the cooling down lap, he would he rode along on his Yamaha M1, reaching over the front fairing and just giving it a loving, a loving rub to say well done to his motorcycle. And you always see Rossi creates this sort of bond with his with his motorcycle that that some other riders don't appear to or at least don't show. 
But once he rolled all the way round on his on his cooling down lap to the to the famous corkscrew, his fan club were waiting there with the flags and everything, and they run out onto the track, and he got off of his Yamaha M1 motorcycle, kneeled down and kissed the tarmac of the very famous corkscrew, where he'd made that incredible move to control Casey Stoner, to get past him and to slow down his pace in order for him to be able to compete for that race win. Now, when they made their way back into Park for May, Rossi and his team were absolutely delirious. No wonder, because they did not expect to have this opportunity to go out there and win the race. But Casey Stoner, on the other hand, was absolutely furious. I would love to be a lip reader, but judging by his facial expressions, I can probably take a guess about one of those some of those words coming out of his mouth were. And couldn't you couldn't blame him. You couldn't blame him for being for being furious. It was such a tough race. Somebody had to lose and when it's two guys who are so desperate to win and they're so desperate to beat each other, um it really did show. And on the podium, the body language of the two riders just told uh, you could have written a book about their body language on the podium Stoner absolutely dejected shoulders down real scowl on his face Rossi with the most with the most beaming smile and he's you know quite deliberately winding Stoner up like you know trying to make polite chit chat and smiling and joking with him and Stoner's having none of it I mean it is pure pantomime and that is what you know Motor racing has so many of those things where there's just a lovely additional spice to the actual motor racing itself. And this particular race, do you know what? If there'd been two guys, one guy in a black bike with black leathers and one guy in a white bike with white leathers and you didn't know who they are, it still would have been incredible entertainment. But the fact that you know, add all that extra, um, all that extra interest and all that extra rivalry into it, it just made for so much more of an enhanced spectacle and remains one of the greatest MotoGP races ever held. So I, I hope you enjoyed um, hearing about um, Rossi's victory uh, at Laguna Seca in 2008. Like I say, if you get the opportunity to, to, to get on there on the MotoGP video pass, which gives you access to all MotoGP races, um, I can't remember how far back it goes, at least into the 1980s anyway, so you can watch any any race you can think of, it's there on demand. I couldn't recommend it any, any higher. Um, watching that race is just extraordinary and and if you ever want to show someone MotoGP who's never watched it before that's a fantastic uh, example and a great example of why Valentino Rossi for many people is the greatest of all time you can argue until the until the cows come home about who's the greatest is it Rossi is it Marquez is it Schwantz Rainey Doohan Mike Hailwood to be honest, it doesn't matter. It's always dependent on the era. Um, is Rossi better than Marquez? Is Marquez better than Rossi? It's a pointless. It's a pointless argument, really, because they both, you know, they both peaked at different times of their uh, uh, of their careers. And I dare say that when Marquez, if he stays to when he's forty years old, there will be another kid of his age who's who's beating him. That you can that you can guarantee. But that's that that's the cool thing about MotoGP is you've got so many wonderful riders that date back all the way back to the very beginning of the sport. So if you haven't give it a give it a give it a look, Laguna Seca two thousand and eight, Rossi versus Stoner. It's an absolute classic. 
So before I go, um, please don't forget to uh, subscribe to our programme, the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. That way you get a reminder um, every time a new episode is published so you never miss one. Um, You can follow us on Instagram, which is at Peter Mackay Motorsport. You can follow us on Twitter, which is at Mackay Podcast. Our Facebook is the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Or you can do... The old-fashioned internet, which is my website, which is www.petermackaymotorsport.com, and I would love to hear from you. Thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to speaking to you again very soon.